Number seven media production. Hey! Welcome to the Pot of Gold podcast series where we focus on people and businesses within the mining industry with the objective to extract nuggets of wisdom and practical business advice. I'm your host, Jacques Besson. If you're keen to listen to some more SME-focused podcast uh, series, check out Best Crush. And if Afrikaans is your thing, check out Clipcoish, which focuses on Afrikaans SMEs. Becoming a geologist was Charlotte Scotney's childhood dream. Currently the mineral resource manager at Sabanya Stillwater, the world's third largest producer of gold. Babiskakni achieved his dream 20 years ago when he started out in the mining industry as a senior geologist at Anglo-Gold Ashanti. Having spent time in the diamond industry on the west coast of Africa too, Labiskakni, however, finds his niche in gold. But as he warns, local gold operations are currently marginal. The sector is faced with various technical, economic, social and operational challenges, as well as challenges unique to the Republic. Therefore, he suggests sustainable mining will be key going forward. Shal, welcome in the studio. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Where did you grow up? The journey from childhood to where you're sitting now. All right. Thank you, Jock. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Yes, uh, I grew up in Mayerton. I went to school in Dr. Malan. And from childhood, I always wanted to be a geologist. Uh, We traveled the country when I was a kid, uh, lots of times to Namibia. And um, I fell in love with the rocks and the environment and... Yes, so I decided to study geology. So after school, I went to to UJ. In those days, it was the Rans Afrikaans University. What what was based in class back then? I mean, geology wise. I mean, I, I always knew that they had a very strong reputation. Yes. So in those days, it was uh, the early nineties. So the geology department at Drow, um, those days, you know, we had. Excellent, excellent uh, lecturers, um, you know, just to name a few, Nick Bierkes, Lou Ashwell, Van, uh, Prof. Van Rienen, just to name a few. Um, and the classes were quite small in those days. You know, we were about 10 to 20 people in, in first year and second year. Sure, and, it's very intimate. Hmm? Yes, and, and then at honest, uh, at honest level, we were only about eight people doing honest sure, degree. sure. In geology, so it was quite fortunate for me also that after my studies, that um, you know the the mining industry was quite booming. Um, so you could walk out and r- literally walk into any mining house, and they'll offer you a job sure. as a geologist. So I decided to go into gold at the, straight after varsity, uh, but um, not long after that, I had the opportunity to go into Africa, into the diamond industry. So I left for Angola. I worked for around two years in Angola in the diamond industry, the fluvial environment. Time for a did you know insert. Geography and geology. Fluvial processes are associated with rivers and streams and the deposits and landforms created by them. Sedimentary environments are areas in the Earth's surface characterized by distinctive physical, chemical and biological processes. A fluvial environment is a type of sedimentary environment. 
where Thuville landforms and Thuville deposits are created, modified, destroyed and or preserved through the erosion, transport and deposition of sediment. Fluvial placer deposits can include heavy minerals of economic interest like gold and diamonds. And then I, after that I came back to South Africa and work on the West Coast in Alexander Bay, Alex School. So what, what is the – is there a massive difference between gold and diamond well, from a ge- geology standpoint? It's quite interesting. Not really because it, what we call it's a fluvial environment. So it is to do with really rivers that deposit the gold and the diamonds. Okay. So in that uh, sense, it's actually the same. Diamonds are also quite heavy. So, so is gold. Um, so you look, if you do exploration, you look more or less for the same environment where to find these channels that is, uh, you know, that's quite rich in gold or, or, or diamond. So in that aspect, it's quite the same. But obviously in diamond, you get also, uh, the, you know, a different type of deposit. Mm. Um, but we don't get that in gold. So... Um, while I was in on the West Coast, um, I also had the opportunity to come back to Johannesburg in the gold industry. Um, I worked actually in Clarkstorp for around four to five years, and then I moved. Who were you? Who were you with at the time? Uh, that was Angler Gold Ashanti. Angler Ashanti. So um, then. I, while I was there, I also decided to do a master's degree in environmental management at uh, Northwest University, which is close by. I was, all, you know, I was always interested in you know, how do the business of today looking forward in terms of the environment, you know, legislation-wise, and what you need to, to look after to look after your business and the environment. So, so that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but South Africa, I think historically was a bit of cowboy country when it came to environmental practices, or is, is, is that wrong? And how has it changed? I mean, if you look at it 20 years ago versus now. Yes, I think the legislation changed quite a lot over the past couple of decades, I assume. Um, if you look, you know, because gold was always, and diamonds was quite always a big industry, you know, there's legislation on how to mine and where to mine was always there. Um, but in terms of the environment, you know, the legislation changed quite a lot over the past two decades. You know, it's quite strict in terms of how you need to mine, what you need to do with your waste in terms of waste management, um, to look after not just yourself, but also the community around you. Um, so that is quite important, you know, to bring everything together in terms of your community, the environment and your business. How do you bring it together? And all those things you really learn um, over the years, but I specifically choose to do it in my master's degree, you know, in environmental management, which is quite interesting. How, how does that compare with, and again, this is just yes, I, I, I constantly hear about um, when we start talking community, around the mine, um, you know, good uh, agri-soil, you know, I've heard that some of these mines, there's, there's opportunities for, 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 for agri, the farms, mm. I mean, some of them are. Is that an, a good example of where you embrace the community but at the same time taking care of, of the soil, the environment and so on? That's correct, yes. So you need to look after specifically your water and your soil around any mine. It doesn't even need to be gold. It can be coal, it can be diamonds, it can be manganese, doesn't matter what you mine. 
So you need to look after your natural resources, not to pollute them, how to manage them correctly, and that your business doesn't influence the environment negatively over a long period of time. Obviously, in the short term, there will be an impact. Mm -hmm. We need to understand that. But I think it's in terms of over the long period, how do you really manage it to make sure for future generations that you that you enable the community to live after the mines been there mm. in a in a better way so give us an example of of what is what is a a bad way and what is a better way and then thirdly i want to quickly touch maybe on shell and the whole debacle in the wild coast with fracking so i mean that Maybe That's shed some light on what, 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 why people so upset or what are the potential consequences if they, they went ahead. Okay, so I think first off to start off, a, a good example is to enable a, a community around a mine to live after uh, the mine's been closed. So you'll see a lot of these, let's call it, ghost towns of mines. You know, the, the, you, you, you start, a, start a mine, the community starts up, and once the mine's been closed down, you know, nothing happens afterwards. So uh, let's take an example on the West Coast. What you get is we teach the people uh, to be oyster farmers in the ocean, for example. You know, how to, to live after, to get, you know... Uh, yeah, because they, they, they can't jump in a car and, and, and move to Johannesburg. That's correct. So, so they will stay there, but, you know, to enable them with the resources at that area, you know, how to embrace themselves. Okay. So, so I mean, we can, you can do that. All right. So, waste, waste of farming in, in, in that instance. And uh, so, and what about Shell? So, let's talk about the yeah, fracking that, that, and all of that. that, that uh, Shell is quite an interesting one. Um, you know, it's all over the news at the moment. So um, the way I understand it is that they didn't follow um, the correct procedure in terms of the National Environmental Management Act, NEMA, um, what the impact will be on, you know, on the ocean and, and the living creatures in it. So um, if you look at, they just want to do seismic uh, tests. Mm -hmm. Now, seismic tests is probably, you know, in my point of view, one of the, uh, uh, you know, easiest way or less impacted on the environment because you're just sending sound waves uh, to to understand what the lithology is and under the water. So that's really to see where is that oil yes, effectively. That's correct. Yeah. But, Possible but, well, yeah. Well, so you send the sound wave impact. from a boat down into the into the water and with the frequency as it hits different layers under the water, it bounces back. And you can actually see if it's cavities or not, just to, to explain it in a simple way. Um, but, I mean, the environmentalists, they say, listen, we know that, you know, whales are quite sensitive on sound. So yes. I think may, maybe some of those studies are not done properly. I see. Um, you know, if it was done, you know, seismic uh, uh, um, analyst or a seismic study on, on, the, on the earth um, crust, you know, as we, uh, you know, on dry land, if I can call it that, it's, it's very easy, it's very simple. We know there's no real consequences. Mm -hmm. But in the ocean, it might be different with the dolphins and the whales. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think they, you know, that maybe they've got a point. I'm not uh, fundian, you know, yes. with that, but that's the way I understand it. So they'll need to do an a impact study and, and see what the consequences will be mm -hmm. doing that. That's, that's interesting. Right, so, so 
finish your studies, uh, uh, Clarksdorp, Shanti Gold, and then what happened from there? So I moved back uh, closer to Joburg, uh, worked at South Deep uh, for two years. While I was there, I also started a mining engineering diploma um, at WITS, doing that, and then worked at uh, all the cook shafts for a while, became what we call a mineral resource manager, and that's what I am today. So um, in 2015, I, I started working at uh, the Driefontein Gold Mines, where I'm still today, and where I'm the mineral resource manage manager. So what it entails really is, you know, we're looking after the, re the reserves. So if someone asks, how long will this mine still be open economically? And they will come to me and I'll explain exactly how much gold is still left underground. And uh, I'm responsible for all the exploration that takes place. Um, I'm also doing the budget in terms of targets, how much gold will we produce in the next year, quite in detail. And, and I show them exactly where to mine, where to develop in which area of the mine that we can, you know, be sustainable in future. So let's unpack that for a second. So the first question I have for you is, how easy is it, is it to get it wrong? So it's like, go dig there, guys. <laughs> and then there's nothing. I mean, is, is technology obviously helped? Or let's put it this way. What did 50 years look like uh, 50 years ago, uh, potential scenario versus today? Yeah, that's quite interesting. I think over the past 50 years, if you went down a gold mine and you went underground today, it's more or less the same. It was not really a big change on how to mine, how to explore, and how to interpret. Um, there were some changes with human resources, but we can come back to, to that later. But the way of mining, you know, it's always been more or less the same. But to get it wrong is, is sometimes quite easy. So, you know, we cannot look through rock. So you need to do good exploration. You need to have a good geological model um, to understand exactly your way forward. So if you do a geological model, you need to understand not just the structure of, you know, we, we call it faults and dikes, you know, that displaces the, the reef, the gold reef in different places from, you know, one meter up to 50 or 100 meters. So you need to follow that trend of the, of the reef. So it gets displaced, and that's what we call a structural model. But then also the amount of gold um, in the reef is not constant. So we need to determine, and we've got models for that, to say if you mine in this area, you're going to get, for example, 6 grams a ton. But if you mine it in this area, you're going to get 80 grams a ton. Now, what's quite interesting, you need to build that together, you know, because some guys will mine the 6 grams a ton in one particular mine. Other guys will mine 100 grams per ton. And to get the mix right, what we call a mining mix to make the business. Remember, yes. after all, we're a business. Yes, it's not so, just one mine. Yeah, so yeah. we need to make sure we get, say, 500 or a ton of gold per month. To get that right, you need to mix and match everything. And, and you know, that's where mine planning comes in. So mine planning is a big part of my job. So I've got a department looking after that on the short and the medium and the long term. How do we build this business? You know, in the short term, because we cannot determine the gold price. You know, if they, you know, the gold price determined not by us. So, you know, whatever it is for for that year, so we determine for this next year it will be X, whatever it is, 
And so we need to make sure we make money. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, you know, the company belongs to the shareholder. Yes. So, so basically that is what I'm doing. So what is the, I mean, and, and, and as far as, where's that cutoff point? We say this, this mine is okay, so, it's time so, to go. So what we do, we do have cut, we, we work out cutoff grades per area. Um, and pay limit. So that's the two words we normally use. So pay limit is no, more or less at this mining grade you can mine, you're going to make money. Mm. A cutoff below that, you, you don't even cover all your costs. Okay. So you, I know, for example, what is the cost of a crew mining in a specific area? So if it's below that, I, you know, I don't allow them to mine. It's below our cutoff. Mm -hmm. But all, we all know that the gold price fluctuates. So say after six months or nine months, the, the RAND weekends weekends, now it's it's viable. Then I tell to them, go. listen, there's actually opportunity. We can go back there, but uh, I've got a budget and I work according to the budget price. And there's certain areas that we can, cannot go into because the gold is not enough in that specific area. And then in some areas, you know, it's quite high grade. They can always mine there. And then also, what's important to develop towards those areas for next year and year two, three, and four. I need to tell them today to go and develop and mine in this direction, you know, those big tunnels that we aim for higher grade in future. So, so that is more or less what we do. How, how easy is it, again, to um, – I think you mentioned how mining is uh, – the actual mining is, is very much the same. But is it, is, it, is it still easy to get it wrong as far as – Mining, I want to come back to mining in the wrong direction or, or getting, I mean, obviously, mm. uh, as you said, you're, you, you, you price uh, uh, takers. You mm. can't get around the gold price, so there's no control around that. Um, but how easy is it to get it wrong? And, and also, what are the consequences? You mentioned mm. HR being different. So you can't just uh, switch, just lock up a mine and, and off you go. What, yeah. what are those complications? Yeah, so I think, you know, um, to get it wrong, I think – over the past year, stuff that did really improved is, you know, if you look at uh, the rock engineering department where we, you know, need to prevent seismicity. So seismicity is a big portion of, you know, you know of our daily lives in the gold mines, in the deep gold mines. So we need to prevent that. Um, you know, if you get, get a big, uh, 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 let's call it a, a seismic event, um, it's so really is it like an earthquake? An earthquake? Like space, I remember, in, I grew earthquake. up in Valcom, so yeah, I remember. Pss, I think we had a six on the Richter scale one. That's one correct. Day. It's an earthquake. It's a small earthquake. Mm -hmm. So some it's natural, but some is because of the mining activity. So we do have good models that um, you know we produce to say, listen, you know, we need to to make you know we call it rock engineering pillars. There's some areas that we cannot go into because they stabilize the mine, for mm -hmm. example. And then also in your working environment, you get different um, support systems, you know, that, that hold up, you know, the hanging wall, that it doesn't fall down. So there's a lot of, you know, in that point of view, there's, I think there's a lot of um, improvement in the mining industry. So again, from a, from a safety point. From a safety point, because safety is, I mean, critical. Mm. You know, if you look at 10, 20 years ago, I think the safety records did improve quite dramatically because we do take it serious in the mining industry. You know, um, we need to make sure everybody goes underground safely and comes out safely. So, so there's a lot of emphasis on how to mine safely. Um, so, so I think, um, 
you know, in that point of view, we did improve quite quite a lot. What what? Uh, so why hasn't mining or the act of mining um, had not changed that much? I think in the in the gold deep gold mines it didn't change a lot. I think in the open cost you can see quite big improvement with atomization. You know, we big trucks you can sit in the, the coal, office, coal, for coal, example. coal or iron ore mines, manganese. Those big mines, you, you, we did see a lot of improvement over the years. You know, you can sit in an office and some tracks in Australia, for example, in Australia, you know, there's no drivers. Mm-hmm. They go and everything is automated. Yes. Um, the complexity with the gold mines is because it's so broken up. It's na- a narrow ore body. We're talking about between one and three meters that we mine. You know, mine only a certain portion, then you need to stop redevelop because everything is broken up. It's structurally, geologically, structurally quite complex. Um, so I think that stopped or, or, or didn't, didn't really assist in this technological advancement. I mean, there was in the software we used some advancements, um, you know, in, a, in the planning, for example, what planning tools you use, um, what databases you use. Um, I think in survey there was quite big improvements over the years. Mm. But the actual activity, mining activity is more or less the same. I yeah. mean, there was some advancements in explosives, you know, utilities we use. But uh, not really to say, listen, I'm going to send a robot underground and he's going to mine for me. Yes. Um, you know, if you get big ex- excavation, you can do that in terms of Big tunnels, you know, if you do a tunnel, you can get the people away from the face, you know. Um, we use drill rigs, for example, for that. Mm. But when you start mining the ore itself, it's very difficult. I mean, it's more or less the same of, as it was. Because you need that, that, because as you said, what's that, <coughs> two, three meters? So it's, yeah. it's, so it's tiny. You need to get hands in there. That's correct. Because, you know, if you're mining too much waste, you know, if you increase your stoping with your hanging wall or your football waste, you're just increasing your costs. So you literally you, 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 you're shipping rocks around, yeah. which is worth nothing. And and that is you know if you take avoid that. yeah because you over your value chain you don't want your waste in your system. Mm-hmm. So you want the concentrated ore from the start up to the end into the plant. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So let's let's uh, talk Sabanya Stillwater. What what are the you know again? I think now with the last two years we 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 coming out of COVID. What were the challenges in the last two years um, and, and what are the opportunities moving forward? Time for a Did You Know insert. Sabanya Stillwater is a leading international precious metals mining company with a diverse portfolio of platinum group metal, PGM, operations in the USA and Southern Africa, gold operations and products in South Africa and copper, gold and PGM exploration properties in North and South America. Sabanya Stillwater is the world's largest primary producer of platinum, the second largest primary producer of palladium and a top tier gold producer ranking third globally on a gold equivalent basis. Globally they are also the leading recycler and processor of spent PGM catalytic converter materials. Oh, yes, like, you know, if you talk risk management, I think any person in the gold mine can tell you a whole page full of risk management because there's so many risks involved in any gold mine. Um, you know, we, you know, we, normal stuff like fires, underground fires is still a big risk because, you know, it's, it's a, lot, a big areas mined out. 
So there's always that risk, flooding, and you know, underwater flooding. We look after that. Um, then illegal miners is a big issue today in South Africa. Where, where are they kind of? Because I know they the Zama Zamas, right? So That's I know correct. they they. I think is it Barberton? I mean the well, old they everywhere. Alcorma, is it? So they everywhere. That's a big big problem and a big challenge for us. You know, I think uh, personally, I think it's it's uh, big syndicates, um, and they just destroy value. You know, wherever they go. So, so that is a big problem. And they problem. bury terrorists. I mean, they <clears throat> yeah, kill people. I they, mean, they're they dangerous. very arrogant, very military. Um, they, some of them are armed. Um, so, you know, we mine in a certain area. And because it's so, you know, it's like a big city underground. People need to understand. It's not like a, you walk in a, in a, you know, in a big city underground in some old areas where you've mined before. Where we close down, they just go open up. And some of those stability pillars, for example, they go and mine them. You know, which we put in place because we know if you start mining them, it can be a safety uh, uh, risk yes, for a big size fall mistake. on your head. Yeah. So, so those things are very, you know. So, so, so if I understand you correctly, it's not so much that they mining an area that you've closed down as they messing around with with safety features. That's correct, and also in areas where we mine currently. So, what they do, you know, for example, we will do uh, work in a day shift. You know, we've got uh, a day shift, afternoon shift, and a night shift. So once the day shift comes out, you know, they'll come in into some areas and they'll steal some of our ore that we've been mining mm. uh, and then process it somewhere else, you know, underground and then send, send the gold uh, out. So wow. it's, you know, they know what they're doing. I was so going to say they're not clouds. But yeah, no, so they know them. what they're doing in terms of that. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a big risk for us at the moment. How do you? How, where do you start addressing that? Is it just uh, in terms of security it, patrols? Is it all levels? You know, from underground. If you want to get, for example, underground, you know, we've got strict measures, um, and you know, so it's it's our policy straight from our policy right through to the activity itself to get underground, identifying people. Uh, you, you know, you get a clock cart. You've got security turnstiles. Uh, you've got cameras everywhere, um, and still, you know, they're there because the problem is, you know, some of the old shafts that's been closed down, they go down the, those shafts, and they're all interlinked underground. So you can go walk 10, 15 kilometers underground in old opened areas, and they can actually come to us where we are mining at the moment. Goodness. And it's also between different companies. Sometimes you get a different company that's been closed down, but, in you know, some of those tunnels are interlinked. What what are you you mentioned a city and ten fifteen kilometers I mean that's how, how big is a typical under, underground What are you talking your distance wise All right So you, we've got different we call it uh, regions um, for gold in in Johannesburg Let's call it the Witz Basin Yeah um, For example the Central Basin that's ba- basically been mined out That is where Johannesburg City is at the moment Now that. That department is about 20, 20 kilometers already wide, but that's all been mined out. Um, where we mine on the far west strand, um, it's about 15 to 20 kilometers by another five. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a vast area. Mm. And, you know, it's not belonging to one company. And some companies been closed down a long time ago. So that makes it quite difficult to manage everything. It's not only at one property. Yes, yes, yes. So again, it's it's closed down twenty years ago. They get access, and somehow they they end up 
that one is, of your, your tunnels. That is correct, and they interfere. And then I think some of the other risks, you know, uh, that we're sitting with is obviously safety. Safety is a big risk. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, how do we manage our safety performance? Safety performance um, is so critical that, you know, it's part of our daily lives. You know, we start every meeting, for example, with a safety moment. You know, it's embedded in our culture. Mm-hmm. How do we really manage safety? We've got safety targets. You know, we've got strict rules how to mine and what not to do. Um, so that is embedded in ourselves, and it, it forms part of your culture. So, so, and again, this is not. I don't want to sound like a negative, but it, it's it's. I guess back in the day, um, you could get away with murder to an extent. More so today, a death equals lockdown. Not lockdown, yeah. but the production comes yeah. to a standstill. So That's I think there's a, there's a, there's an economical yeah, motivation no, to not that it's a bad thing to save yeah. lives, but there's a financial incentive to to make sure everybody is safe. No, definitely. So. Um, I think it's it's really embedded in this whole economic save lives, mm. you know, save future uh, um, that's embedded in ourselves. Yes, yes. You know, how do we manage our safety performance? You know, we've got a big department for that. And if you get trained, you know, these days, um, you know, it's it's a big part of your curriculum. Safety. How to become safe, a safe miner, for example. Okay. You know, 20, 30 years ago, I think what changed was those guys really – was writing the book, What Can Go Wrong. Yes. You know, they didn't understand 60 or 50 years ago, you know, if you do this, you know, act, it might, you know, turn out sour. Mm-mm-mm. But now there's a, you know... You got that, it's almost like a black box, yeah, you so, know, historically. And now everything is written, exactly, mm. all the laws and all the policies and all the standards, how to mine safely. So, just quickly, side note on the training. Now... I know you, you, back in the day, you trained, my dad was a surveyor, so he, he trained at Mako Flay. Is that still a thing? I mean, <laughs> where are you guys trained these days? No, I, no, I think it changed quite a lot, obviously, also with COVID, um, where, you know, training facilities, but big companies, you know, do have their own facility, you know, at the central point where they send most of your guys, and it depends what level, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't send a guy with an honest degree, it doesn't matter what you want to do that, they, those, those guys go to university. Mm-hmm. But for your normal diplomas, um, you know, we do have a big department and a facility that looks after those guys. Okay. So, let's touch, I want to, I wanna, excuse the pun, uh, deep, dig deeper. We talked about risks, safety, slash death, uh, the Zamazamas. What else has changed? I mean, what what is uh, what are what are the big challenges at the moment? So let's let's talk the electricity, the new legislation, um, trade unions. You know, what what are those risks that that make South Africa unique in comparison with the states and and yeah, ours? I think so. to start off maybe with electricity, it's it's that's quite an interesting one. Is because of the cost, the increase in cost. You know, we use a lot of electricity, um, you know, da- on a daily basis. So our electricity portion is quite big, and um, you know, to manage that, you know, we can do it in some uh, up to a certain point. But beyond that, you know, we need to, to use electricity. So it's really you know, our cost management to stay in business. Mm. You know, how can we 
look after renewable, you know, energy, mm-hmm. for example. Um, so there's some projects going on um, how to, to, to look after renewable energy. And then um, I think the big thing is the cost management, you know, to stay in business, mm-hmm. you know. And this is where, you know, currently with the unions, you know, the increase in wages, um, you know, turns it sometimes sour because, you know, we cannot afford in future just to increase as we like, mm-hmm. you know. In, in, at some point, you know, in future, you know, if you look at your life of mine, we can, can come to a point and we're going to close down shop. Because, you know, the gold mines these days are quite marginal in South Africa. So, so you know, the unions are quite, they still listen, you know, they want to push for the maximum and we need to look after the future of the company mm. and then the people, you know. Of course. So Again, it comes back to sustainability, sustainability versus being rich this year. Yes. Yeah. So we need to look after, you know, it's better not to get an increase actually, and to make sure you've got uh, further life for two or three years, you know, then to increase everybody and salaries. And there's no job left. There's no job left after mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. Because we know, you know, the, co- the, the increase in cost. And unfortunately, the gold price doesn't always stay, you know, on that margin. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. always increase the same as your cost increase. Yes, yes. So this is where the whole thing comes in. And, you know, where, where my job coming in sometime is to say, listen, to offset that, can we mine higher grade? But also that stops. It's more difficult to get into higher grade. We know the productivity um, is actually is in, uh, decreasing. It's not increasing. It's actually decreasing because we're moving away further from a shaft. It's difficult areas. We're deeper. So your productivity decreases. Got it. So you don't get so much gold out as this year. Next year, it's very difficult to get the same uh, amount of gold out. Yes. Um, and and, and it purely because of depth and distance. That is correct. Uh, and then there's some other issues as well because, you know, further away, for example, it's getting hotter, your ventilation, your traveling time towards mm-hmm. the, your working area increases, so the guy's getting more tired, so they're not that productive. Yes, yes. So there's a, you know, it's a whole list of things. Mm-hmm. And with this, you know, to be you know, in good business, we need to look after all these l- uh, little tick boxes. Sure, that's, that's interesting. So what are the opportunities? I mean, how, how do you, uh, as, as a company, do you benchmark against other mining companies in South Africa? Do you benchmark against other uh, uh, mining companies, other countries? So what, what are those, uh, I would say, what, what's the next two years? What are the exciting things that, that you guys f- uh, feel bullish about? And, and how does that compare with, with the rest of the world? Yeah, so, I mean, we always benchmark. You know, because, you know, say you're an investor, you need to say as an investor, where am I going to put my money? Which company? Mm-hmm. So you as a company to make sure, you know, you're better than the next, your next neighbor mm-hmm. for to, to, to get some of that money to that the person invests in, in you. In, in you. Yes. Um, so we do benchmarking. And I think that is why we, I, I mean, as a big company, it's all over the news that we're moving away uh, not just in gold or platinum, but we're going into renewable energy, n- renewable, you know, resources. Um, uh, for example, we just grown into South America. We bought two mines there. Um, so, you know, you need to be a global player. You cannot just be in South Africa and believe, like the old days, listen, you're big. Unfortunately, you know, the, 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 all the mines in South Africa, not just the gold, are shrinking. You know, we're closing more mines down than we're actually opening. Really? 
So, was so that, is that the first time in, in, in the long history, or, was, or that ratio is, is in, in the past probably 10, 15 years? You saw a big decline in, in, in output, you know, in gold, diamonds, gold. Um, so, you know, you need to look for new opportunities. <laughs> so, to look for new opportunities, you need to go, need to go global. You, we looked in Africa, you go to North America, South America, Europe, for example. So, there's some big opportunities. And, you know, to, to be a big player, you need to look after sustainability, sustainable mining. And I think that is where some of the big opportunity comes in. You know, what is the market, what's the market going to be in 10 or 15 years from now? Mm-hmm. So you must make sure, look at the short term, that your short term, that you make money and get your targets from all the mines. And then in the longer term, where are you going to put the money you're making today? Mm. That it brings out you know, some profits over 10 or 15 years yes, is sustainable. Yes. What's, uh, so is South America the flavor of the month? I mean, I, I, I hear it a lot, uh, South America this, South America that. Or is it just, is it just purely because, um, uh, dare I say, technology hasn't reached us <laughs> South America as quickly as other markets? Or is that Yeah, personally, I'll comment? say, you know, it depends how you look at it. You know, flavor of the day 10, 15 years ago was always Australia. Um, North America was always because, you know, they've got a big history, Canada, for example. And, Just uh, massive, massive, massive. mining. Um, I think there was, there's definitely in South America some, you know, opportunities on big deposits. Uh, you know, um, I think there's still some discoveries that the, that the guys can do and make uh, on new deposits on different commodities. Um, so I think, yeah, South America is definitely a big target for everybody, all the companies. And then, you know, if you look at risk evasion, you know, Africa, you know, everybody was in Africa or in China 20 years ago, but because of the big risk, it's quite difficult um, to, to, to mine in some of the countries in Africa. Because, again, it's uh, the, 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 the political, poli- the, 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 yeah, the, the new landscape. opposition just takes over and, yeah. and, and, so the and political your, there goes your business. Yeah, political instability in Africa. Is, is is, is, so Africa is still on paper, would you say it's the biggest opportunity still, if, if you could get around this this nonsense personally uh depends which commodity you're talking about but i don't think so uh to be honest you know if you look at the gold industry or the diamond industry mostly mined out you know you just do if you've if you've got a new new mine and you need to start from scratch you're talking about five to ten years before you start starting really money good heavens and how much money goes into that Oh, it's it's billions, really? billions and billions. Sure. You know, so who's gonna? You know, it's better than to invest if you're invested. Put it into Microsoft. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to get your money back. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so you're really looking into long-term, uh, uh, you know, opportunities. Um, and then because we're so deep, you know, you need to look at more shallower mining where your safety risk is lower, mm-hmm. where it's easier to mine, easier to get access. Um, you know, so I think for me, I would say probably South America. So it's a very good target. Is it? And again, is it? What What is that? It's interesting. You talked about not as deep, easier to access, and so on. Uh, how does what does a typical South American gold mine look like? If you that profile in, in comparison with with South Africa, or is it not that simple to compare? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not really. But I mean, they all shallow. They don't have deep so, mines. Okay, so so that's already a win. Yeah, the fact so, that you don't have yeah, to go so down we, two kilometers. Yeah, so we, you know, very unique in that sense. Um, 
you know, uh, fortunately, one of our opportunities, all the capital's been paid off. You know, some of the shots are quite old where we mine. You know, it's really just your running cost that you, you need to, to work with. You know, we do spend some capital, you know, every year on some certain projects. Mm. But, you know, big capital's been spent already. So everything, infrastructure is there. You just need to utilize it. And I think that is where the exploration, you know, what we do is quite interesting. We do still find some, you know, areas that's been unexplored in our mining facilities because it's not just one reef, you know, they stacked on top of each other like a, you know, like a, a tart or a cake or pages, if you can yes. call it that. You know, in the, in the old days, they always went for the highest, richest one. But there is some opportunity be, below and above you. Um, that you can look after. And that is where we still find some big opportunities in the current gold mines. How do you, so is it a matter of just, again, technology helping you to identify these extra uh, layers or is it again? Yeah, it's not, I will not just say it's luck. Um, there is some thinking around it. How do you do that? Um, but if you've been, you know, I was always thinking, you know, how do we still get it right to, to increase reserves every year? You know, we're mining out and we're still increasing reserves. And I think sometimes, you know, it's like a boxer. If you're in a corner, you know, you find ways out. Yes, yes, yes. You know, you say, listen, you need to fight your way out because, you know, it's, it's your livelihood. Mm, mm, mm. You know, there's nothing else. Yes. So if it's, if it's your livelihood, you need to, to find a way out. And that's more or less what we do. We're looking at uh, areas, opportunities, and we still get sometimes it right, you know, to increase our reserve base. So interesting thing, and it's it's. I remember it's a it's a brief conversation you and I had a few years ago, actually, where you guys were looking at at platinum, and you said, "Well, you're because you're so lean and mean in your in your way of thinking, doing as as as, as gold miners, it was easy to or, or where where the the platinum miners couldn't make money. I mean, the first, I remember you. I remember you told me the story. The first thing is flashy offices and everything, right? That's so. It's, it's, it's where they make a lot of money. It was fine, and when when the margin started, you know, dying or, or became lower, they didn't have that capability to make it work. But you guys did. Is yeah. is do you find outside of gold? What, are there additional other mineral opportunities that, for example, with platinum, where you can take that know-how and make it profitable, whereas yeah, I think so. I think it's a, you know, mining is quite interesting. It's always a thing, you know, for me, it's like a mindset. You know, how do you run a business effectively? You know, how do you do your cost management? How do you, how do you, like any business, what's your revenue stream? Can you increase your revenue stream or can you do your cost management better? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your future looking like? You know, it's like any business. If you're a good businessman and, and that, the gold miners are quite very, you know, quite good at, mm-hmm. you know, exactly on um, looking after, you know, your own livelihood in terms of, uh, you know, profit. Yeah. That, that's a, at the end of the day. That's what counts. Mm-hmm. You know, well, how much profit can you make in the shortest point of time uh, and be sustainable in the long term? And, you know, if you program, it's like, a, you know, we almost programmed like that. Mm. You just there's a default uh, thinking no. setting, um, which which uh, is are there other industries that 
do that? I mean, it's, it's a, it sounds like a stupid question. I mean, we all want to yeah. increase sales, reduce costs, <laughs> and, and, and be here for the next uh, 30 years. But as the, I guess in old manufacturing industries, is there anything co- that can be compared to? Yeah, no, that's quite an interesting question. Because I was, well, you know, if you're driving around, you look at all these big companies and these big offices, and I think, yes, you know, you must become modest, man. Because <laughs> <Look laughs> yeah, you, you guys are sort of like prefab houses well, no, sometimes. Yeah, you, no, you, know, you know. Flashes and aircon. You're, yeah, you know. <laughs> Is it your marketing strategy or what? What <laughs> big, big, uh, you know, offices and all that. So, I think a lot of guys can actually le- learn from the mining industry. Um, you know, how to in tough times. You know, you only grow really personally in tough times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we went through, you know, all these cycles. Then it goes very bad, and then we close down shaft, we retrench people. Then we open up again, you know, and if you've been through some of those mining cycles, then, you know, listen, you know, this is what you need to, where you are in the cycle, you need to understand, and then what you're going to do next, you need to understand as well. Mm. Last question. So, you mentioned Joburg, the, the dome that you mentioned earlier. So, it was a dome, or what do you call it? Um, yeah, let's let just call it a mining district. District. Um, mined out. So, What's the story? I, I remember I met this guy about three years ago. They they actually remined the, the the mine dumps. Yeah, I mean they were pulling out a lot of money. Correct, I think yeah. it was a few million a yeah. month. Um, what happened there? Other than the fact that it's Joburg's now prettier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's quite a you know it started actually a long time ago. Um, you know, recycling um, some of the mining waste. So in the old days, you know, I think the metallurgy or the metallurgical systems was not as good as it is today. Um, so you get, you know, say 0.3 or 0.4 grams a ton in some of those dumps. And with today's technology and the systems, you can actually still mine again those dumps because it's already on surface. So it's cheap. You use water jets or water. You flow it into a plant. And if it's mass production, you can actually make a good money. So, you know, money out of it. So I think all the big mining, gold mining companies have a segment or a department doing that, actually. You know, looking after, you know, the old dumps to make sure that, you know, you can still recycle them. And then obviously for the environment, you know, the footprint, you reduce your footprint. Um, You take some of those... Dumps, you, we call it a mega dump. You build a mega dump, or you fill up some of the old mines, the mm. cavities underground, to be more, you know, more stable. Yes, yes. In terms of ground stability. Okay. So, so that's also possible. So it's actually a win-win situation. It's not just for the environment, but it's also economically viable at this stage. Um, you know, so there's big companies doing that, and I think is that an outsourced function? I mean, was it? Uh, no, some is definitely in house. So is that so? They just, plants. they just, yeah. So we've got a specific plant just doing, doing that, that in a specific area, and then some companies are buying. You know, they out there. That's the only thing they do. You know, they, they don't buy do a dump it. and then they go and, recycle. And recycle it. They they're not really in the underground mining business. Yes, yes. So there's some companies doing that as well. So what's uh, – speaking of a dump, right, so you, you, you're digging this massive hole. How's that changed over the years? If you, if you sink a new mine now, what happens to that, that soil or is it immediately reworked? 
with the lessons learned. Okay, so so if you do if you design a new mine, what you will do is take the overburden and put it on one side because that is where you you know your 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 grass and your trees can grow into. So you put it separate. You don't mix it with you know your underground rock mm. that's been blasted. So you'll put everything separate. Um, on se- se- separate dumps. So, for example, you get as you go underground deeper be- below your soil, you get a barren uh, rock layers that you'll put separate, where there's no gold in. And then you get into to your gold bearing rock at some point, and that's what we call the Vitz Basin. And then that you will put separate because at one point in time, although it's very low grade, you can still mix it with later on with you know um, your runoff mine that you can actually take gold off. So there's a big design portion in that. So this Pro, is, Proactive pro, today? Please. Back in the day was just dig a hole? No, I think if you look back in the day, even in the 60s, 70s, you know, they already knew that. Okay. So even those days they were actually separate, you know, your barren uh, uh, rock versus your gold-bearing rock. Um, you can see it in the old dams. But... Um, yeah, no, they knew it already in the 50s and the 60s. They've already done that in those years. So, again, it was that forward thinking, but the technology, did they know that one day we could potentially do something? I don't something think they really planned it like that in those days. So, it was so a lucky, lucky… So, listen, we need to separate everything, you know, uh, you know separately. Mm. I don't think they plan it to say, listen, after 40 years, the gold bar is going to increase X amount yeah. so we can actually remine it. Mm-hmm. So, but so yeah, no, it's, it, it, I think it's been like that, you know, since the 50s and the 60s. Charles, thank you so much for your time. This is fascinating. It was a nice snapshot, a little bit more in-depth look at, at the gold mines and so on. I hope uh, 2022 is, is a great year for you guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast or this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share with friends, family and colleagues. And check out our Facebook page at Pod of Gold for what we're up to.